Hello, welcome to Coat and Blue. My name is Dan Rowlandson. I'm joined here this afternoon with John Townley for what is a rebranded version of something we did last year. We told these match previews last year, but we realised we weren't really talking about the game and from a tactical perspective, it was that you'd been to the press conference and what were the latest quotes from Emery, what was the injury updates and those kind of things. We're rebranding this content to be called Inside Bodymore because everyone can do a match preview, but you're one of the only few people in this Villa media world that has been inside Bodymore Heath this afternoon. Explanation, exposition out of the way. John, how are you? Yeah, doing well, thanks, Dan. Season starts on Saturday, Saturday night at St. James's, in Emery's first press conference ahead of a Premier League game this afternoon. And he went through lots of different topics, lots of different questions asked. So, um, yeah, plenty to talk about on the podcast. You've spoken to Emery a few times over pre-season, but this is the proper stuff now, the first Premier League um, press conference that you've been to. I always ask the same question at the start of these, so get used to it if you're a regular viewer. What was the vibe like? What was Emery like? How was the, how was Bodymore Heath? Was there any food? I want to know like the atmosphere before we get into the uh, what he actually said. The vibe was obviously fine because it's it, you know it's not the first day back, I suppose, for for us journalists at Bodymore Heath. Uh, so it's nice to see some familiar faces there. Food was great as always at Bodymore. I'll be honest, Emmy Buendir missing what mm. could be the majority of the season, if not more. We don't know yet. We'll get on to that. But that I was really disappointed and gutted for Buendir. And again, we're going to talk about it in a minute. But I, yeah. not that that reflected the mood at Bodymore. But that's obviously impacted the last day of preparations um, for Newcastle. It's affecting what Villa do in the transfer market. So that has had a big impact. And for Buendir himself, it's obviously gutting and devastating for him. So... But the cookies were nice, no body more. That's the positive. <laughs> yeah, we'll get on to Brendan in a sec. He's the main talking point probably of this this show, really. What did Emery say about Newcastle, though, in this, this first game? Because there's a section coming up later in this show where I've spoken to a Newcastle journalist and we were both saying how excited we were. And for a neutral, this is a great game and probably the pick of the weekend if the form from last season continues into this. Two sides that want to be up around in the, in the top six of the Premier League, going at it when there's no kind of concerns about fitness and lethargy towards the end of the season. It's game day one, here we go. Um, what did Emery say about Newcastle? Yeah, a lot of respect for Newcastle, as you'd expect. He was asked about how he feels Villa are sort of represented in the media and we say it sometimes, but Newcastle, obviously, they've been sort of flung into the limelight a little bit after their big uh, takeover, they obviously qualified for the Champions League and rightly so, they're getting a lot of praise. But he was asked, do you think Villa, um, you know, do they deserve more than they're getting or should, should it be more level in terms of Newcastle's praise to Villa's praise from last season? And he kind of batted it away as well, we're doing it in, in our own way, like we're Aston Villa, so mm. we'll do it how we wish to. We're you know, a big enough club to sort of stand by ourselves. We don't have to be sort of tagged along with other people. Or It's not a competition to earn the the praise of the media, if that makes sense. You, you want your club to be given all the plaudits and, and whatnot in the media, but then at the same time, you'll say, oh, but we're flying in the radar and that's how it should be. So I don't know how to quite feel about it, but Emery's thoughts on it are very much, um, you know, we'll earn the right to to earn that prize like Newcastle have and ultimately Newcastle finished fourth won it last season I think for, um, to get into the Champions League and they were third for much of the season at one point there was even a conversation of oh can you compete with Man City in like February or something but his point was that if we match what they were doing last season and that you know going on that uh, run of form that they were putting up as we were but obviously we gave everyone a 13 game head start then they will earn uh, as many plaudits as what Newcastle did so he wasn't too fussed about that and I don't think he really cares what 
people say anyway. Let's talk about the injury update then. I mean, I might as well have called this the Wendy update because he is the main talking point, the elephant in the room of this show. Not ideal for your season preparations. I've seen a few people saying that in terms of like his goal output and things like that, it won't be a massive amount to replace, but it's still squad depth, isn't it? Wendy would have had a role to play and I think he probably would have started this game against Newcastle as well. So that disrupts things a little bit as well. There are some other updates in terms of Dendonka and John Duran, which we'll, we'll save for after the Brendier bits and pieces. You said it kind of dampened the mood a little bit. For me to say it's bad news, isn't it, John? Is it is an understatement, but it's yeah. bad news, isn't it, John? Villa on such a, you know, they're on the crest of a wave at the moment, and Brendier has played a big part in that. He was the only player to play every game last season. One of only two players, Ezri Consul was the other to play in every Premier League game last season. So he always has been reliable. He's always fit, ready. Uh, is eager, tenacious. Like Steven Gerrard was hit when he was the manager. They had like leaderboards for training sessions, and I don't know exactly how it you know works out, but Wendy was always leading those in terms of the points that the players got from training sessions. I'm not again, I'm not not too sure about what the games were playing. Um, Ping pong, so, <laughs> maybe. God's sake, he's just someone you want around, and you want him to be available in the Conference League games. I think he would have been you know a key player for Villa as well. Is just someone you want to that we've always been able to call on, and, and now we can't for I don't know how long. Emery said that it's not. I mean, as we knew, it's he said it's not like a one week, two week, two month, three month job. It's going to be like a six, nine months that sort of thing, and that's not like a, an accurate. Mm. Um, He's just saying it's a big injury. Yes, we, we don't know how long it's going to be for, but it doesn't sound like good news. It's going to probably be the most be most of the camp. Uh, most of the campaign because obviously it's then working back from that sort of injury it's one thing you know having strength back in your um, muscles or whatever like we saw with Carlos who actually recovered pretty quickly from mm. I mean it wasn't quick but in terms of the injury he suffered which was a different one but we know how long that takes the ACL can be very similar if not more so gutted for him that, that's the only way I can put it and it's a big blow for Villa as well because now as I say we're now adapting in the transfer market with Wendy is a player who I think was coming into his own under Emery a little bit. We saw in pre-season about the role that he was Very playing. Very good in pre-season. Yeah, he, to me, was learning everything that he had to under Emery. And again, he played every game last season. So it's a, it is a big blow. And Villa are going to have to um, come over it. The only thing I'd say is that you got Jacob Ramsey coming back at the end of the month. And I think mm. they were possibly going to compete for the same role in, in a starting eleven. You know, but again, you're asking for players to come off the bench, make an impact in the Cups, in the Conference League. So you need a squad. So that's why Villa are going into the transfer market to um, hopefully make at least one addition into forward areas. But you you don't want your players to be out for that long, especially now that you question well, how is he going to come back from that and you know, he hasn't just pulled a hamstring. It's uh, Emery says that it's you know a concern for his ligaments, which is obviously the, that's always the big worry um, mm. with knee injuries. Just really disappointing. He was he's one that I've been asking to see more from. You know, whenever we do like a one to watch, my answer has always been Buendia, signed for thirty three million and not really lived up to that no. price tag. Though he's had, but, you know, but at the same of- time. It- but we, but there's always been flashes of something, and that's why we, course, we keep yeah, saying I wanted to it. see some consistency. Yeah, yeah. we're not making out as a negative that he hasn't performed or anything. It's just that we know that there's a big, there's a very good player in there, mm-hmm. and it's as you say, consistency was a big thing for him. I, the amount of times last season I come out, came on the podcast and said I always played three good games. Hopefully, he can make it five or six because we haven't seen that, and he didn't yeah. do it too much. But to that, to now have this injury at this point the eve of the new season after pre-season a positive pre-season and he would have been in Emery's plans next season as you say Dan and no doubt when they're doing drills on 
Arsenal body more over in the USA. Um, Wendy is obviously playing, um, you know, a key role in how they move the ball and what positions mm-hmm. to pick up. Now a new player will have to come in and learn those uh, patterns of play and different things like that. It's it's a much bigger blow than what you think. Just looking at it and think, oh, we won't have Buendia to play. I don't like it. Kind of been minimized down to just saying, oh, well, he only scored five goals last year. So if we replace five goals that we've replaced every Buendia, it's just not it's just not as simple as that. It just really no. isn't. And yeah, I, I was hoping that this would have been. To call it a breakthrough season is silly because he's been here a couple of years. But to you know, there's a, there's a player there that is ten goals, ten assists in all competitions and being really influential. And we're at best going to see him play a bit part from March onwards if we're lucky. And that's really Huge quite sad on, on the on the eve of a new season because there's so much optimism going into it. And of course, there still is this this injury doesn't derail our season in the same way right. a Martinez would, for example. But it's still, like I said to you, bad news. Just give me a very quick round up on the rest of the squad then from a fitness perspective. So it's almost actually worth for a few of them. Bertrand Traore still injured. Jacob Ramsey, Alex Moreno, both still injured. It's a similar timeline for those two. You're hoping for the Palace game after the September international break for Ramsey and Moreno. Dendonka is also out and I've missed one. John Duran will return to training hopefully next week and be in contention to feature in the match their squad in about three weeks' time. Mm. So again, you're looking at the September interna- September international break. Can Villa kind of get over this first month with a good points haul from the games that they play? Get through past for Europe. <laughs> yep, get past through Hibbertson yeah. or and or uh, and or Lutzen, and then you're welcoming back Ramsey Moreno. Hopefully, they won't take long to settle in terms of um, back into the team fitness match fitness and things like that because it's going to be a very hectic season for Villa obviously the transfer window as well that will be shutting in a couple of weeks or three weeks or so so still still some things to sort there which we'll speak about in a bit more depth in a minute Let's have a word from the opposition. I've spoke to Andrew Musgrove this morning, who is the host of the Everything is Black and White podcast. I caught up with him earlier today to ask him five questions ahead of Newcastle versus Aston Villa. Um, so take it away, earlier me. <laughs> <laughs> As part of the new season, we're introducing this opposition preview section of the uh, the Inside Bodymore preview podcast show that we're launching. And we've done these in the past where we've chatted for 25, 30 minutes about the opposition and Villa fans are kind of thinking... I don't care that much about Newcastle, but I'd like to hear little bits and pieces. So I've got five questions for you. So first of all, how do you just assess this opening game then Aston Villa, Newcastle? From a Villa perspective, St. James's Park on the opening day is probably one of the toughest games we'll have all season. But I've got a sneaky prediction that I think Villa might get something. I think it's a really, really uh, tough opener for Newcastle. I think it's going to be a test for Villa. I think if you're a neutral You'll be absolutely loving this game. I think it's a brilliant TV pick because these two sides are going to have a really good season, I think. Uh, I think Newcastle have to be tighter in midfield. The, the previous two games against Villa, the one in America, the one at Villa Park, we saw Villa really overrun Newcastle's midfield and that's that's my concern. I think it'll be a very close game. I think it'll set the tone as well for both sides. However it goes, I think whichever side wins, they're going to have to be on on top of their game to get there and it'll set the tone for the rest of the season, I think. Who do you think Villa should be wary of then from a Newcastle side of things? You know, it's so refreshing that I could give you six or seven different players because yeah. this is Newcastle United of the current day. There's so many players in the starting 11 in the squad. You know, there's, there's, there's countless players who might not even get in to the starting 11, let alone the squad. So, anyhow, has options there's a big debate about who he starts in midfield. There's a big debate about who he starts up top. And there's a big debate about who starts on the left. So it's very hard to say that this person will start uh, on Saturday because Eddie Howe has a selection dilemma 
built on the fact that there are several players on such good form uh, during this preseason. Many people will look to Bruno Gimaraes because he, I think he's one of the guaranteed starters. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick Alexander Izak. I think Alexander Izak will start up front. And I think he'll give Villa's uh, central defence the, the, the runaround. You know, he's deceptively strong. He doesn't look like he's, he's, he's he, he can be, but he really is. But the ball just sticks to him. He'll drop deep, he'll get the ball, or he'll float out wide and then come in. And the things he can do with it, it's like watching... Messi or Peter Beardsley in, in, in his pomp, like it just sticks to him. It's unbelievable. And I think if he does start ahead of Callum Wilson, he'll be the man to watch. Let's flip that question then from from the other side. Who are you scared of from Villa side? Because again, the things you've said there about Newcastle could be copy and paste for Villa, that we have a good squad now that go back two seasons, three seasons. We'd have said, Jack Grealish, end of discussion. There's no one else really to, to be concerned about. Now I could give you five, six, seven, eight players as well. It'll depend if Fabian shares fit there's a question mark over that. If not, then Ollie Watkins probably gets the, the nod for me. But you could pick so many. If I wasn't going to go for a sexy answer, I'd go for John McGinn because he's just, mm. I think, such an underrated player and he just pulls the strings. And in that opening half or so against Newcastle in America, McGinn was just, he was just everywhere. And you had him up against Sandro Tonali, who was a £52 million signing from AC Milan. You've got John McGinn. And John McGinn looked streets ahead of him. I know Tonali's getting up the up scratch with things, but McGinn had him for breakfast. And then there's Moussa Diaby, isn't there? I mean, what a signing. Newcastle really liked this fella. There's a bit of grumbles uh, among certain sections of the fan base that Newcastle didn't uh, firm up their interest. But what a player. And it's going to be really interesting to see who Eddie Howe plays at left-back. Will it be Matt Target? Familiar name to your listeners and viewers. Or will it be Dan Byrne? Whoever it is, out of those two, they're going to have to be on, on top form, assuming that the RB does play out on the right and goes up against whoever is out at left-back for Newcastle. Two questions left in this little mini-preview. We both think that Newcastle are going to go on to have a decent season again next year. It won't affect this first game, of course, but how will the Champions League affect Newcastle's Premier League campaign, do you think? It's the million-pound question, isn't it? It's going to be tough, but Newcastle have got a bit of squad depth midfield and forward-wise, it would be good to see them bringing another centre-back just to kind of help them with the the the, the, the schedule that's going to come with the Champions League. Mm. It's going to be exciting. You know, it's been 20-odd years since they were last in the Champions League. And St. James's Park under the lights, whether it's a, you know, a Champions League night, a cup game, whatever, it, it's a very special atmosphere. I mean, it's, all, it's always special it's in James Park, but a game under the lights is something really nice about it. And, you know, if it's a Real Madrid or Barcelona coming to Tyneside, Eddie Howe and the players will relish it, but the fans as well, they're going to absolutely just make it really difficult for these top teams. Undoubtedly, it will affect them because it's going to be tough and you're going up against teams potentially who are, who are much, much better than you. But I think the way Eddie Howe approaches games and his, his mantra is, you know, Every game we want to win because that breeds confidence. They will go in thinking they can win every game, whether regardless of who it's against, and they'll give everyone a really good show. And I think the important thing is as well, you know, there will be a blip for Newcastle. We haven't really had it yet under Eddie Howe, but I think with the amount of games they've got, the fact that he will want to give the domestic cups a good go and he'll want to get back in the top four as well. A run of bad form will happen, but I think the owners have his back. And the fans certainly have his back, so I'm not too concerned about any negative impact of, of the Champions League. You know, the clues in the name when it comes to Newcastle. Everyone's united, and I think we'll see that um, throughout the season to come. 
Just quickly, this isn't like one of my five questions. Where do you think Newcastle will finish this year? I've gone for third. We did a season preview wow, on our okay. on our YouTube channel, and I've gone third. And the reason being is I think Man City and I think Arsenal are probably the, the top two sides in, in the league. But then I look elsewhere. I don't think Chelsea are going to do anything special. I think there's so many fires there for the new manager to put out. I'm not really sure. I think it's a massive risk. He's gone there as good as he is. Tottenham, not not concerned. I think you know Harry Kane could still go. I don't think they've done enough in the transfer market to um to to upset anything. Liverpool, big rebuilding job. I've actually predicted in our season preview that Klopp won't see the season out, or if he does, it'll be a farewell next summer. I know bold, but I've just yeah. I just think I think there's troubles there, and I think that opens the door to Villa. Uh, to finish mm. uh, fifth, you know, I think I think they'll be within a shout of the, that fifth place of the Champions League. There's a good shout for, for Villa to to get there because you know done a fantastic job. So yeah, Newcastle for me third, and then I, I think I, I genuinely do think Villa have a, have a really good shout of being within the mix as well. Score prediction then? You said a draw. What is it actually going to be on Saturday evening? What we saw in America was that the, the two teams maybe weren't as tight as as we like at the back. Of course, there was a, yeah. a strange formation from from Newcastle. I will not see that again on 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 Saturday. The midfield battle being key. I'm a little bit worried that Villa might just win that battle. I think it'll be two two. I think yeah, I'm going to go two two. I think it'll be really close. Uh, I think it'll be a really entertaining game, but. 2-2 two, two is, is what I'm going for. Lovely stuff, Andrew. Thank you very much for your time. I know that you want me to answer some questions for your Newcastle podcast as well. So if uh, any Villa fans want to go over and subscribe to the Everything is Black and White podcast, just for one match week at least, uh, you can go and do that. I'll put a link in the comments down below. Andrew, thanks for your time and all the best for Saturday evening. Let's go away from match day then. We're going to do predicted 11 and predictions for the scoreline for Saturday in a little bit. Let's talk something different that isn't Newcastle related after a big section there on Newcastle. Transfers? Everyone loves it, don't they? Cameron Archer. Uh, I wanted to say Jacob Ramsey then, as I think a lot of people keep doing. Aaron Ramsey uh, linked ever closer with a move to Burnley. Do you just want to explain the Ramsey situation first of all? Yeah, so Ramsey is expected to join Burnley sort of imminently. Uh, a deal around £14 million for Villa, which is great for FFP because yeah. that's a player who is yet to make his Premier League debut. And by the way, I think it's a brilliant move for Ramsey as well. Ramsey leaving Villa might seem like, oh, well, Villa don't rate him or he doesn't have a future at Villa. It's actually the opposite. This is kind of a glorified loan move <laughs> because... Potentially. That's the caveat, of course, because he has to perform for Burnley. Mm-hmm. But I almost think him leaving as a permanent, that for Ramsey is like, well, I'm here now. I have to. I have to perform. It's not a loan move where, if it doesn't go well for the first few guys, or first few months, or whatever, he thinks, "Oh, well, I'll go on loan somewhere else next year, and I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll perform well at Middlesbrough again, or, or something like that." He's at Burnley for good, and he also has the carrot of if he plays well, he can return to Villa because Villa will have a buyback. I don't know what price that's set up, but it, for Villa. We know that they need to stop uh, selling players for money. For FFP, it's a good move for Villa because they get yeah. 40 million quid as a safe player who's not played in the Premier League. A player who's capable of playing in the Premier League, I think. And it, for him to play under someone like Vincent Company in a team that plays a good brand of football, it's a Premier League move as well in a team that I don't think will... They might be in trouble for relegation, but I don't think they'll be in serious trouble. Um you know, unlike a Luton or a Sheffield United, you know, as I predict. So, yeah, a great move for Ramsey and good for Villa to get the money in and also have the buybacks. So if he does well, it's not like, oh, we sold him for too cheap. It's actually, well, we can bring him back if we like. We can bring him back and we don't have to, you know, use him. We could then sell him for another club for a higher fee if he plays so well. So, yeah. 
Villa have all the control in that situation, and that's the key. Um, Emery mentioned it in his press conference that there's a lot of decisions that are going to be made about young players. Obviously, Philogene was one that was made. But the key thing is that Villa have control over those players' future, which is good because we're not just selling players for a bit of money fast now or loaning them out to the championship where we know that they're good enough to play that level. Are they really developing? It's a Premier League move and Ramsey's case for good money. And I think it's a deal that suits all parties. The season preview that we did that went out on Wednesday, I urge people to go back and watch that because even up up until after the Newcastle game, there's a lot of things in there that are still relevant as we do our predictions for top scorer yep. and player of the year and those kind of things. I opened with how we were optimistic and excited ahead of the season and it felt like we were a big club. We all know we're a big club, but we're acting as a big club would. This Aaron Ramsey thing is big club moves. This is what yep. big clubs do. They have promising young talent who... I always thought you have to use my hands for this. So apologies for people that are only listening, but Villa are d- developing to a level at this rate and Aaron Ramsey is at this rate and won't get into the Villa side because we're ahead of where he is. And that's just the fact yeah. of where, what his ability is. He's 20 years old. He's not going to break through to the Villa first team anytime soon. So what do you do with him? You loan him out to the championship where you know he's pretty much too good for that level. And then he comes back and a year is not wasted, but where are you? Same position. Villa, Villa are still good, too good yeah. for Aaron Ramsey unless he's massively outperformed what people thought he could do you want to get him into the Premier League and see how he fares there because that's where Villa are if Burnley finished 10th and Aaron Ramsey plays very well Villa have sold him for 14 million with let's face it the buyback clause isn't going to be expensive because what would be the point of that 20 million let's say maybe as a, as a ballpark no no idea if that's even close it's not going to be a 2 million buyback it's not going to be 50 million is it so in the middle Burnley will want to make some kind of profit on this deal as well if, if he comes back if he plays very, very well and Villa thinks there's a, there's a space for him in their squad, the same Emmy Buendia doesn't recover in the way that we want him to and Aaron Ramsey will replace him in the squad for next year. He's played very well at Burnley. Villa go back and say, we'll, we'll buy him back for our agreed price and we, we use him that way. We have control, like you say. Mm-hmm. That's what big, big clubs do. If Aaron Ramsey doesn't develop in the way that we hope he, he does, Villa have made £14 million for FFP right here and now, which is massive. Uh, even though it doesn't sound like a lot it is it's obviously pure profit as an academy product if he isn't very good we make 14 million and we move on and it, again it, I think it's a perfect move for all parties Burnley get a yeah. player who was brilliant in the championship last season in a role which they wanted to strengthen strengthen Villa get a great fee for a player again who hasn't played any minutes in the Premier League it, it, it's a win-win and again for Ramsey I think it's important that he goes somewhere and he knows that you got to perform like you're not just going back to Villa the next year um mm like for certain I mean you might do if you play very well but he has to settle there he has to get used to Burnley he has to get used to company used to his teammates because he's the likelihood is that, I mean so the likelihood we don't know but he's there unless something changes sort of the, you know so I think good move for all parties and it's a really good business from Villa as well it definitely needs commending that talk to me about the Cameron Archer situation because I've read some of the quotes memory from the press conference today maybe I'm coming stupid here I don't really understand the Cameron Archer stuff it's a difficult it's difficult. I obviously asked about Duran and Archer over in the USA, and the answer that Emery gave them was that he wants both of them to be in his squad, and Villa need those players heading into what promises to be a very hectic campaign. Obviously, if they go far in the Conference League, and I firmly believe that Archer would have a role to play in that, and I still do. The situation at the moment is that Villa obviously are open to letting Cameron Archer leave. Whether that's a permanent or a loan, we don't know because Emery said it. You know, they're kind of evaluating that situation. If it's a permanent, it's going to be the same kind of thing as the Aaron Ramsey thing you yes, would expect. Exactly same, yeah. Scratch my head a little bit about a permanent move for Archer because there's no championship club that could afford that. 
surely, unless it's Southampton who are going to make a lot of money from sales mm. in the yeah, coming weeks. But championship clubs don't spend 20 million quid or no. more than that. So a loan move elsewhere might work, but then a loan move to the championship, is that going to benefit Archer? No, not at all. It's a it's waste, benefit of, either. waste of a season. So then you're looking in the Premier League or maybe even in Europe, the clubs that would look at him in the Premier League, I think there's a couple maybe. There's obviously clubs that are interested, but which ones can actually do a deal? I think that's the point. Mm. There's some domino effect somewhere where they yeah, now think, right, well, we can possibly get X player 40 mm. million, as an example. Yeah. We'll make 40 million off uh, Aaron Ramsey and let's say 20 million for Cameron Archer. If we sold Cardiff to the maker for 20 million and he played no games. If you were looking at Cameron Archer as a championship prospect from Coventry, for example, and a Premier League club was signing them, you'd be paying 20 million. Villeneuve can then use that pure profit of 34 million figures as an estimate to buy that player who is now possibly available and that's how they bolster their ranks. If that if that move doesn't happen and Cameron Archer now stays and is part of it, for your manager to be saying but just before the start of the season, oh, well, we're open to selling him, that's a bit strange as well. And that's, That isn't yeah, very yeah. Emory. It's worth saying that he didn't, I know what you're saying, Danny, he didn't categorically say, yeah, we're open to it. He just mentioned, I said, I mean, he kind of did, but he didn't say <laughs> either way he's going to go or it was mainly a point of hit they're analysing it, mm, okay. which means that, but analysing it would suggest that Villa are looking yeah. elsewhere at the same time, which is fine. Just on the point you said there about the, all the profit that Villa might be making from player sales, I think that's important. Does that mean that Villa can then spend the money that they're bringing in? I'm not sure. I think Villa need to be making money. To cover what stop, they've already paid. Stop buying exactly... We've already spent a lot of money this summer and yes, other clubs are spending more, but Villa don't have the revenues. Let's see what happens. But it's um, it's interesting for sure. I don't know whether Emery's looked at Archer in pre-season and thought, I like him a lot because, by the way, he's always complimented him and said his, how well he did at Borough. And again, the same situation with with um, Aaron Ramsey. He said Villa need control over these uh, over, the, over the futures of these players hmm. because Archer's a brilliant talent and they trust him is what he said. At the same time, is he... Does Emery feel like he's ready to make a proper impact now? I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is the what That's he's analysing. in the season preview, wasn't it? Like maybe I'm not quite sure on Cameron Archer. Maybe Emery feels the same yeah. way. They've obviously got targets for those positions as well. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks. I just hope that whatever decisions are made on Archer is the right one. And I trust that it will be because Villa have got a very astute transfer committee at the moment. And look at what Archer's uh, Ramsey, Aaron Ramsey, that that deal is um, is evidence that they know what they're doing. Uh, let's go into our predicted or your predicted eleven, I should say. Uh, I've got some graphics on screen for when I'm editing this. So sorry, John, as we go through this, you won't be able to see them, but I know you, you've sent me your eleven. My, this is my predicted lineup. The big graphic that said predicted lineup was the uh, the clue. <laughs> that was the uh, that was the clue. Yeah, so I I think Emery will be starting Torres, Mings, and Concer as a back three in possession, mm-hmm. but. The fullback that will be playing, I think, will be Matty Cash. Martinez in goal, obviously. Double pivot of Louise and Kamara. I was toying with the idea of will he play Tielemans, but I just think for the first game, that's a settled partnership. You know what you're going to get from those two, and it, it'll work. Um, you know what you're going to get from Tielemans as well, but I think he'll have to probably wait to make his uh, league debut for Villa. DRB, Watkins and John McGinn are all shoo-ins for me, and mm-hmm. that leaves one more player, which will... Probably play over there on the left because you've got um, McGinn and Diaby and Matty Cash all sort of on that right side. So you need to play on the left, which I presume will be Leon Bailey. The other one could be Philogene, but I think Bailey will probably get the nod because, again, I think Philogene, yes, he's earned the right to be in the squad, but to make your first Premier League start at St. James's, you're kind of you're not coming in from the cold. It's probably not the right thing to say, but it's along those lines. That's your first taste yeah. of it. You, you've got to win every. Um, you got to compete in every duel. You've got to be ready from the first minute. And 
Bailey is obviously has experiences of um, Premier League football. I've laid it out as it looks kind of like a four four two. We all know it isn't, and how it we all know what it's into a yeah, back yeah. three. Like we all know the graphic is very rudimentary, but people understand that this is yeah. kind of then how it goes. You got to take it all with a pinch of salt because will John McGinn sit on Dan Burn again, which would yeah. then affect you know how far Matty Cash gets up the pitch. Does the RB come inside so much to play alongside Ollie Watkins? And so there's every game you're going to have little tweaks, but I think as a general setup, I think I can't see many changes to that 11. The side you've picked is what it probably will be. Obvious question mark is Bailey or Philogene. I wonder whether the not so obvious question mark is Douglas Louise or Tielemans playing off the left. I get it, but I just, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'll see it because <laughs> we didn't, I don't know. I, I'm taking quite a lot from the preseason game and I could be proved completely wrong. He might play the midfield three that he was alluding to in his previous press conferences and saying that he would play Tielemans, Kamara and Louise at different points. So maybe we'll see that against Newcastle, but I'm I'm kind of just going safe on this one just based off what we'd seen in the last few preseason games. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely fair enough. I'm just offering something different for the sake of we're doing a podcast <laughs> rather than just yeah. going, yes, John, I agree. Yes, John. <laughs> yeah, cool. uh, somewhere where we probably won't agree, Predictions for Saturday evening then. Like I said, this is probably the game of the weekend and certainly one for the neutrals live on Sky Sports half five kickoff. Now, when me and Ash were doing the previews last season, we did a league table for predictions. Who got them right? Who got them wrong? Who won that? Well, I was about to say, we kind of fizzled out. We were pretty much neck and neck for most of the season. I think Ash was just slightly ahead. If you get the correct score, so if you say 2-0 Villa and it's 2-0, you get three points. If you you say 2-0 Villa and it's 1-0 Villa, so you've got the correct outcome, it's one point. If you don't get anything, zero points. And we will hopefully continue this for the entirety of the season and work out who is the best person to back as a prediction, me or you. I've already said what I think on the season preview, but I will repeat it for those who haven't seen it. John, how are we going to get on Saturday night? I'd predict a 1-1 draw. Okay. I'd love, I'd love to predict a win, but I just don't think our season will like, start that good. I think it'll be a great season. But to win at Newcastle first game, I said it in the podcast. I mean, I made a funny noise when you said it, didn't I? I <laughs> yeah, thought, yeah. Like, oh, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I think a 1-1 a one is respectable and that'll be a brilliant point. I, I just think you get, get out of St. James Park with a point. You do that, you know, most of the times in the season nowadays. I mean, formerly, you'd always try and win there, but we never could. I think it's just how do we how do we deal with those 10-minute, 20-minute spells of Newcastle putting pressure on our goal and the crowd getting behind them? Those are really difficult moments in those games. We saw last season when they blew Spurs away like by five goals or whatever it was mm. in the first half. I'm not saying that's going to happen against Villa. I'm sure it won't. But even if they score one goal in that period of time, well, then they've got one of the best defences in the division. One of the hardest games we'll play all season, I think, in terms of the opponent. Hopefully it doesn't play that way and we can get you know, go off to a nice start and three points. But I think 1-1 is, um, is what I'll go with. Yeah, I think 1-1, and I'd absolutely take a draw, by the way. I think 1-1 is probably the most realistic, possibly 2-2. I do think there will be goals just because the sides have kind of both easing into a new season. I think the high line from us is susceptible to being having a ball over the top and being shaken a little bit. Likewise, DRB, McGee and Watkins can definitely threaten Newcastle's defence. I've said all the things you've just said about Newcastle being the toughest game of the season. I'm going for a win. I have to, because I've said it before. It will be such a confidence booster for Villa, and Emery will know that. that to, to, I mean, to win any game in the Premier League is, is obviously important, but to win on the opening day against a tough, a tough opponent who you expect to be up around there with you, the statement that that sends and the precedent it sets to say, look, if you can do that against them, you can beat Everton at home, you can beat Burnley away, you can beat anyone, you guys are invincible. It's just that kind of feeling of of what it brings. So 
I'll go two one uh, and one one for you. I will keep a spreadsheet yeah. of those like an absolute geek, and hopefully I'm top of that league <laughs> table. But like Aston Villa will be in the Premier League um, come the end of the season. John, thank you very much for your time. It's been a, a slightly longer first show for the start of the new season, mainly thanks to the Emmy Brendier news and the Aaron Ramsey and Cameron Archer updates. As we progress into the season, we'll be more honed in and focused on the specific game coming up, uh, and hopefully we'll continue to speak to somebody from the opposition if uh, people enjoyed that as well. I think that first segment was about eight minutes. If you think that's too long, let me know and I will refine it. If you think it's not enough and you want to hear more from the opponent, I can do that and either cut it out as a separate video or this uh, Inside Body More programme can be slightly longer. As if I just call this a programme, uh, this Inside Body More podcast can be slightly longer. Thank you for your time. Enjoy St. James's. Uh, I hope everything goes well. Okay, Thanks well. everyone for watching yep. this video. Uh, leave a like down below, subscribe. Comment your thoughts and your predictions as well. We always love to hear from you uh, and up the villa. Cheers, everyone.